0: Following the preaching, we will ask the Lord to bless it by His Holy Spirit, and then we will sing together further from Psalm 91, as given in Psalter 249. Dear congregation belonging to Christ, preaching now on Psalm 91 is surely relevant, and as we'll see, it fits also in this Advent season. Why is this psalm so relevant? Well, because this psalm, it speaks to life in a world full of dangers and many fears from all sides. People live with fears and anxieties so much. Can you think of kinds of fears that people live with? I've written down here health fears, Family fears, children fears, marriage fears, financial fears, political fears, world fears. You name it, so many fears. I had to smile when I was preparing this sermon a while back. I read about someone in connection with health fears. He said, some people today, they take so many vitamins, they rattle when they walk. And that's kind of funny, yes. And, and there are so many vitamins when you go to the drugstore. And we're not against vitamins, for sure, no. But it's an illustration of, indeed, people live with a lot of fears. Living in our perilous times today, you too may have your fears and anxieties and, and things that threaten and, and plague your, your sense of peace and stability in one way or another, in different degrees. Well, Psalm 91, congregation gives us God's answer to the fears of mankind. And is so reliable. It's so good. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that the universal emergency number in North America is 911? There's no record that that was chosen at all in view of Psalm 91. But how very significant the comfort in all our fears has told us in Psalm 91, 1, which some have indeed called the Bible's 9-11 verse, especially after September 11, 2001. What does that verse say? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. People have memorized Psalm 91. Maybe you, I know in Calgary, some have memorized it and they repeat it often either at nighttime when they go to bed or in the morning when there's a new day facing them. It's a psalm that declares how we are always safe and secure with the Lord as our refuge. Yes, come what may. Dial up this psalm speaking reverently before God in your fears and in your troubles and divinely supreme emergency help is given us time and again without fail. We are not given the human author of this psalm nor its historical context. Many have said most likely Moses wrote it. The man of God who also wrote the psalm before, Psalm 90, it specifically says. He wrote that psalm. It's called the oldest of psalms. And the defense for thinking that he wrote Psalm 91 as well is, well, the many similar phrases and words of this psalm as found also in Moses' book, Deuteronomy. And some of the imagery of this psalm, as with Psalm 90, also reflects the dangers of journeying through a wilderness and living here in this fallen world with our fallen selves. But not given who is the human author, we should not think we can know for certain. And we should realize too, the Holy Spirit with the writing of this psalm determined that that's not important either. Who wrote it? As one commentator wisely put it, with this psalm being in fact, quote, anonymous and timeless, perhaps it's all the more accessible for that. End of quote. Well, the aim now in preaching on this psalm, beloved, is that all God's people here, seeing and hearing God's precious gospel word, may be so encouraged and comforted, gladdened in and with the Lord as your trust and refuge. At the same time, preaching on this magnificent portion of God's word, the aim is that whoever here is yet unsaved, uncommitted, becomes converted even today by God's spirit and word, fleeing without hesitation to the only true helper and hiding place in our emergency fallen world, fast-headed to certain destruction, sooner or later, left to itself. Uh, John Calvin calls this psalm the finest of psalms. Spurgeon C.H. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, says about Psalm 91, in the whole collection of psalms, there's not a more cheering psalm Its tone is elevated throughout, and faith is at its best here, and it speaks oh so nobly. Here he writes his heavenly medicine against all plague and pest, and he who lives in its spirit will be fearless even in the most fearful of times. So let's go through the psalm together. I invite you to have your Bible open in connection with this. And our theme is, as given in the bulletin, always safe and secure with the Lord as our refuge, your refuge and mine. We have three points. Let's observe together from this psalm how it declares our theme as gospel truth. It declares it beautifully. That's our first point. It illustrates it bountifully, our second point. And it's confirmed beyond measure, our third point. And to see what a a refuge and safe hiding place we find from all fears in and with the Lord, how in this psalm that's declared beautifully, just notice the following details of the psalm with me. The psalm is divided in three main parts. With the first part, verses 1 and 2, testifying of the psalmist taking refuge with the Lord. And then the second part, verses 3 to 13, Either the same psalmist talking to himself or maybe a fellow believer talking to him, proclaiming the boundless deliverances, indeed, found with the Lord. And then we have the third part of the psalm, verses 14 to 16, where we have another speaker, none other than God himself, become the speaker and give most precious final assurances of all this psalm proclaims to us. So... Having heard that structure of the psalm, let's look at the first section. Who will not agree? These verses declare beautifully how safe and secure we always are with the Lord as our refuge. And to see this, look, for example, just at the four names for God given in the first two verses. He's called the Most High. You see that? In verse 1. And again in verse 9. And many other times, especially in the book of Psalms altogether. And that name most high, it emphasizes well God is far above and and completely supreme over any threat or, or danger in our lives. He is, as it were, at the very top of all things and everything and everyone. And there's absolutely nothing and no one outside of his control and his sovereign direction and care and keeping. He's the most high. Doesn't this explain also what, I know I've shared sometimes this, this a saying, which sometimes you say to people, I don't know where it's from, but I like the saying myself, which says, when you look around, you get perplexed. When you look around, you get perplexed. And when you look within, you get depressed. But when you look up, you get blessed. Why do you get blessed when you look up? Well, think of God as the most high. Yes, as someone wrote about this name for God as the Most High. Most High is a title for God that cuts every threat down to size for us. Most High is a title for God that cuts every threat to size for us. Indeed, beloved, God is the Most High. And what can't the Most High God handle and turn around for our good even when trusting and following Him? Should you doubt this, consider the second of the four names for God in the text. Children, what's the second name in the text? It's not only that He's Most High, but He's God Almighty. That means He's all powerful, He's omnipotent. So the psalm opens, Psalm 91. With verse 1, beautifully declaring, He who dwells in this secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And this second title means trusting in the Lord. Always what is impossible with us is possible with Him. And that's true spiritually in all our spiritual needs. And it's true in other cases as well, the whole of our life. The Lord's hand is not shortened to perform wondrous things in any case and even to cause the greatest dangers and threats in our lives to turn out for good and for our profit. While making this sermon, I got a beautiful illustration of this from my colleague in Alberta, Jan Niels, Pastor Jan Niels in Black Falls. He told me he was at a ministerial in Black Falls and the ministers were sharing their life story. And there was a pastor there who told the group, you know, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And my parents didn't get along. In fact, my parents divorced when he was a boy and young man. And that broke him. That shattered him. When you, if you really want to love your kids, love each other. But this man, he was shattered. And God in his providence, when he was in such a low point, brought him under the gospel. And he became saved. Not only knowing God as the Savior who delivers us from trouble, but delivers us from our sins. He became so... Convicted of this and comforted by this. Guess what? In due time, he became a pastor himself. But the story gets better, and it's a true story. His mom and dad, they never married somebody else. And they were not Christians. But his dad went to hear his son preach. And he got converted. And then the mom, she went to hear her son preach. She got converted. And guess what? They both said to each other when they were converted, we're we're divorced. And they weren't remarried to anybody else, so we shouldn't be divorced. The Bible says God hates divorce, so so, so let's get back together, and let's learn to love each other with God's love. They got back together. Isn't that amazing? You say, oh, pastor, that's pretty exceptional. You know what, congregation? The older I get, the more I find out every Christian story is exceptional. It's all about God's amazing grace in our lives and his almighty power in spite of ourselves. Isn't that true? Won't every true Christian testify that's the truth? And If you want to know God is almighty, what did Jesus say in Psalm, in Matthew 28, verse 18, when he arose from the dead as triumphant savior of sinners? He said, all authority, and you could translate, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And Paul writes in Ephesians 1, Verse 19, about what is the exceeding greatness of His, that is, God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of His, that is, God's mighty power, which He worked in Christ Jesus, yes, in His salvation work, climaxing in His exaltation, seated in in heavenly places, at God's right hand, and blessed are all they who trust in Him. Psalm 91 testifies, congregation, trusting in God Most High and God Almighty. Oh, how safe and secure we always are in His hands, under His care and keeping. And if you should question it still, well, consider then the third name for God given in the first two verses. What's the third name as mentioned in verse 2? It's the name Lord in capital letters. You see that? Referring to Jehovah God and telling us He is the ever self-existent God who never changes and who is the faithful covenant-keeping God in all generations and He can always be relied on. He is a God who never weakens over time, who never changes any time, who never retires any time. He is the great I Am that I Am God. Ever true to all his word and promises. Praise God. He's not different than his word tells us of him. And if we are wise, we always prove his word in application and supplication to him in our every need. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. As the text puts it, the believing psalmist testifies, I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress. Isn't this what you and I testify to when we are true Christians, by God's grace? What reasons for all of us so to testify, also considering the fourth title that we find in the text being what? The name God. You see that in the text? My God, in him will I trust, says the psalmist. And the word God there, congregation, refers not to idol gods of man's making, but to Elohim, the one only true and eternal triune God. In the beginning, the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. He is the only true God. He created the world good. And man, good and perfect, but man sinned, you know, rebelled against God. And now the world is full of false gods and idol gods of our own making. But congregation, let's know it and let's believe it and let's tell about it. The Lord God of the Bible, he is the one only true God. He is God for real, for always, forever. He is the God who created us, the God who provides for us, the God who alone can save us from all sin and evil. Paul says the same, doesn't he, in the New Testament? My God, he says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, he says. So, put all these four names together. <laughs> will anyone among us not say in spirit and truth, either for a first time or else afresh, my God? In Him will I trust. And to see and hear more how always safe and secure we are, yes, in and with the Lord as you are in my refuge, and how this is beautifully expressed in this psalm, notice too how the psalmist speaks of finding refuge and fortress with God. And verse 4, telling of God being as His shield and buckler. All these terms And then we could spend a lot of time on them, too, but we, we don't have time. But they all speak of such safekeeping and such supply and protection for us, ever trusting the God of Psalm 91. Calvin, he writes about just the Lord being our shield. He says, quote, There's no kind of calamity which the shield of the Almighty cannot ward off and repel as he becomes our shield and you know Martin Luther, he wrote a song, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And that's what Psalm 91 is telling us. And we can't miss either, can we? How close this one true God will care for us and, and keep us. For what does the psalm say? To dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. Well, that, that means to be so near to Him, doesn't it? And Him to, to have Him always near to us. Chil- children in church, you know... I think you know that to walk in someone's shadow, well, that, that, that means you have to be right by that person, right? If you want to walk in the dad's shadow or mom's shadow, you've got to be together. And so is the Lord, dear congregation, to his people. Yes, especially in and through Jesus Christ. He's Emmanuel, God with us. As many as take refuge with him in true repentance and faith. And then verse 4, notice that, declares most touchingly, finding escape from fear and danger with him. Oh, what, what, what does the Lord say? He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. Doesn't that, isn't that a beautiful picture? And this picture is not likely just one about our parent bird in its tender care and its watchful protection looks after its baby birds, but even more, it may be a reflection actually of the wings of the cherubim. In the Holy of Holies, you know, in the, the with the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, there were two angels and, the, and their wings touched right over the part of the mercy seat where the blood of the sacrifices was sprinkled in atonement for sin. And it all pointed to the Lord Jesus as Savior. And that's that, that somehow also reflected in this, this picture. And does this is all make sense to you, each one listening now or, or listening online? You know, as we go through this, I can't help but quote another psalm, Psalm 57, where we hear David's cry of faith in verses 1 to 3. And he prays for safety among so many enemies all around and from within. And listen to what he says. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge. Until these calamities have passed by, I will cry to God, most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. So is our God. So is the God of Psalm 91. Oh, that we all would trust and wait upon this God in all our fears and struggles. For always, as Psalm 91 makes so clear, how safe and secure we are with the Lord as our refuge. Notice with me how this is not only beautifully declared in this song, but it's illustrated bountifully as well. And here we come to the second section of the song. After the declaration of a certain unnamed believer in verses 1 to 2, it looks like the psalmist talking to himself, you find that more often in the psalms, or another believer talking with him, he, he says, Oh yes, trust in God, you will be saved. He will be there for you, regardless the danger and the fear you may have. And then, and then he gives a whole list, verses 3 to 13, and a, a range of dangers that we meet within life and that God provides deliverance for, no matter how threatening those dangers may appear to us. And when you read through the verses 3 to 13, it's true, isn't it, what one commentator wrote, most of the terrors mentioned here, they're, they're quite undefined, actually. And they're somewhat vague. And then this person wrote, no doubt intentionally so, that for us, no kind of danger is omitted from application. And then he writes, believers in every age read this psalm to learn that nothing can harm a child of God unless the Lord permits it. Yes, and that being said, it's still really good for us to note some specific observations from the whole range of dangers listed that God takes care to deliver his people from and in. Think of this. Consider how his deliverance and protection is 24-7 coverage. Whether the danger be daytime or nighttime, that's clearly expressed in the psalm here. You know, at nighttime, especially at nighttime, we can be afraid. Children, but uh, even as older ones, sometimes we can be afraid in the dark. But we don't have to be afraid for the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day. And whether the threat be as pestilence that walks in darkness or as a destruction that lays waste at noonday, we are safe and secure, trusting in the Lord God, the Most High. Also, whether the danger be subtle attacks, like that of a fowler, which is a bird catcher, or a trapper, which is an animal trapper, out to ensnare us, regardless, or if it be relentless attacks sweeping upon us, God Most High remains the safe refuge and fortress, our shield and buckler in all our needs. And that is true whether the attacks may be on our body, with disease or plague, or against the soul with satanic attacks against us, looking to destroy us and distract us. Let's not forget here that the devil used this psalm. You know that, right? In the Gospels we learned that. He used this psalm, 91, And it's promise of the angel's care over his people to tempt Jesus. Remember that? To fall into sin before God and mankind. We'll come back to that in a moment. Someone has observed in that connection the reference in verse 13 to lion and cobra and serpent, or also you could translate dragon, as threats against us. Well, they may actually also be images of Satan and his ways, as he is also described in other places in the Bible by those very terms the congregation, whether the devil comes against us as a roaring lion or as a poisonous snake or as a sly serpent or a fierce dragon, he can and will be overcome by us. No, not in our own strength ever, but with the God of Psalm 91 as our refuge and our hiding place. Indeed, regardless of dangers and threats, Also have seen coming from long before or or just total unexpected troubles as we can meet with in life. And whether the perils be from those around us or from from ruling authorities of the day, even from other nations. Yet God's people need not be afraid when God is our refuge and strength and our very present help in trouble. True of ourselves, let me say that again, and every true believer will say this with me, the strongest are as helpless as the most weak in ourselves. But as Paul jubilantly says in Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, and with us and in us, we might say, through Jesus Christ, who then can be against us? And doesn't Psalm 91 bountifully illustrate this? Also, in not only speaking of, of protecting his people from danger, but also helping them in danger. And here we have those precious verses 11 to 12 telling us, yes, about God sending his angels to guard and keep us and to even carry us away in and through and from all destructive forces and attacks and events in our lives. The Bible teaches us this, doesn't it? God sends these unseen heavenly agents to protect and defend his people who seek refuge with him. And how right what one commentator said. Let us take note. The Lord doesn't send one guardian angel for each of his people, as some have mistakenly thought, but all the angels are here alluded to. John Calvin says it's part of Christ's work. That he not only delivered us from our alienation with God, but he reconciled the angels to us for our well-being. And then he says this, He does not assign one solitary angel to each saint, but commissions the whole armies of heaven to keep watch over every individual believer. Yes, congregation, the angels are God's bodyguard for his people. And here, notice, too, what the text says. I I think this is great, man. He's our bodyguard, not just in some of our ways, but what does it say in verse 11? To keep you in all your ways. Thank you, Lord. I sure need that kind of a God. In all your ways. In Hebrews 1, we are told, aren't we, the angels are ministering spirits for God's people as heirs of salvation Little do we know, I agree, little do we know and understand of the angelic host sent out by God for our protection and defense. But to know it's for certain, whether we understand it or not, is yet a great comfort, surely. And perhaps, as one said, one day we'll stand amazed at the multiplied services which the unseen heavenly hosts have rendered to us, sent forth by God Most High for our well-being in soul soul and body, and imagine in glory, being recipient of the ministry of Christ, also through the angels, by His grace and mercy towards us. Now, we should note, we learn from Jesus, when tempted by the devil to go his own way, and yet to trust God would send His angels to protect him, that we may not so interpret the psalm. You can't live like the devil and think, oh, God will send His angels to protect me. No, the Bible doesn't allow for that interpretation at all and thank god jesus himself didn't fall for that wicked sly temptation of the devil and he would not sinfully test angelic protection as the devil proposed and the result was as we are told in Matthew 4:11 did you know this that god sent angels plural to minister to jesus in his bodily needs after 40 days of fasting and trial from satan in the wilderness and so it is beloved with all God's people, as taught here in Psalm 91. Oh, when you and I, as confessing Christians, seek and serve the Lord in spirit and truth, our text is telling us, our text chapter, that God, He withholds nothing. He pulls out all the stops, as it were, to guide and keep us, regardless the dangers and distresses from around us or from within us. So we read triumphantly the believing testimony and hearty, humble confidence of the psalmist. Either the psalmist himself talking to himself, or another believer talking to him. Saying in verse 9 also of this psalm, Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. It doesn't mean there won't come troubles in life. We all know Christians, too, suffer many afflictions. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers out of them all. Afflictions, trials, don't have the last word when we are in the Lord's hand. No. He makes us to be overcomers. And in verse 13, it is made clear, trusting and following the Lord, we we are not only made survivors from all evil, but we also are made victors over sin and evil as pictured in trampling underfoot our deadly foes. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 16 says, Christians will trample underfoot even Satan himself. So putting it all together, congregation, the verses 3 to 13, you agree, both unmistakably and bountifully illustrate and promote our sermon theme on the whole of Psalm 91. Always safe and secure, with the Lord as your refuge. Almost you would think the Apostle Paul had this passage open when he was writing Romans 8, and and also reflecting on his own life and, and the beautiful precious gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when, when he says at the end of that chapter also, Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am persuaded, says Paul, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, yes, dear people of God here. This may be all true Christians' persuasion and comfort and confidence. And if, if you maybe yet struggle, as we can, with, with, with doubts and, and with lack of assurance about this, well, well then the last part of the psalm should, should clinch it for us in a most wonderful way. So far with our sermon theme on Psalm 91, always safe and secure with the Lord as you're my refuge, we have seen... This most cheering psalm, this gospel truth is declared beautifully and it's illustrated bountifully. And lastly, consider our third observation. This is gospel truth confirmed beyond measure. And here we come, yes, to the last section of the psalm, the verses 14 to 16. And as I mentioned, in this section, another speaker testifies in the psalm about, yes, the sure safety and refuge found for us in and with the Lord as our hope and trust. One preacher said, in, in, this, in this section, it's like a minister expounding the, the rich preaching of the word. And then, but then another minister in, in the audience, he stands up and says, Dear brother, move over respectfully, and, and let me add now to, to what you've all said, indeed, to confirm it beyond measure. But here, congregation... What is most moving to realize, which I I don't think I understood it myself before I I, I prepared this sermon. What is most moving to realize is that really, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the third speaker in this psalm is not simply another minister, but he's none other than God himself taking over. And yes, we may even say, he's none other than God in Christ Jesus, Christ pre-incarnate, the promised Messiah, Savior of sinners. He delighted to do his father's will. He had to wait till the time was ready. But oh, how he longed to do what his father called him to do, to seek and to save sinners. And we know God in the fullness of time would send his son into this fallen and rebellious and cursed world. And Jesus Christ as his people's shield. He would suffer all the dangers and distresses in this fallen world on sinners' behalf. He would face the relentless attacks of the devil, Satan, to the max. And he would bear as the just for the unjust all the righteous fury of God's holy wrath against sin. And so make full atonement for his people paying all the punishment for sin that we deserve as the substitute for sinners. And all to once for all forevermore be his people's perfect shield and hiding place, their complete Savior and Deliverer and Defender, indeed our refuge, strong and sure, in body and soul, in life and death for now. And forever. And in that light, listen then to the divine speaker, our Savior Himself, pre incarnate, as He reverently speaking now, comes on stage. And what does He say? Notice, praise God, He doesn't contradict anything said so far in this psalm, but He only most graciously and gloriously and grandly affirms it and confirms it beyond measure. He testifies in verse 14. Because he, that is the believing psalmist and all true believers throughout the ages, has set his love upon me. Yes. And because he has known my name and calls out to me, of this all he may be sure. And of this all, God's repentant, believing people may be sure. And then then we are given eight I wills from God towards his people. Six stated emphatically and two I wills implied. What are they? Listen, look at the text. The Lord God says, trusting him and depending on him, this all you can know and be assured of without a doubt. I will deliver him. I will set him on high. I will answer him when he calls upon me, and I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. I will honor him implied. I will satisfy him with long meaning, ultimately full and fulfilling life, And I will, implied, show him my salvation. Isn't that great? What more, I ask you, what more could anyone want or need than such splendid gospel confirmation from God himself of his wondrous care and keeping of all who trust and follow him? We don't have time to go through all of them, but let me just mention two of the things. You know, Spurgeon, he says so well, If we climb on high, it may be dangerous. Children, you know that. If we climb on high, it may be dangerous. But if God sets us up on high, oh, that's glorious. Indeed. Indeed. And then when God says in the very last phrase that I will show him my salvation, that word salvation is the same root word as Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. And the New Testament term for that is Jesus Jesus the savior of sinners Joseph and Mary you know they were called to they were to call the baby miraculously conceived by the holy spirit in virgin mary's womb jesus for he shall save his people from their sins i will show him my salvation God says at the end of Psalm 91, meaning really no less for then and for now and forevermore, he will show us Jesus Christ in all his beauty, his fullness and glory as perfect, priceless savior of sinners and his perfect, wonderful salvation work, the sin atoning, Satan defeating, sinner saving, God pleasing, once for all sacrifice of his, even to the death on the cross. In and through him, beloved, and faith in him, there is plenteous redemption and constant protection and endless defense and ceaseless forgiveness and everlasting righteousness and the gift of eternal life for us, beginning here and in the new heavens and earth, in perfection forevermore. You know, the last phrase, I will show them my salvation, it should have us think of Jesus when he arose from the dead. I love thinking about it. He had 11 resurrection appearances. Why? He wanted to show his followers his salvation. He wanted, he wanted them to know, indeed, he is the Savior. Those who followed him, they, they were filled with fears. He showed them his salvation. And by doing that also, he equipped them, didn't he, to tell others the good news of the gospel. And, and we know when they saw and they believed and the Spirit came with Pentecost, Oh, how they were compelled to go out to tell all the world, beginning in Jerusalem, even to the ends of the earth. Yes, for who can compare to the God of the Bible and and the God of Psalm 91? God's people finding refuge and salvation, security in and through him, our Savior God. Therefore, as mentioned in the beginning of this sermon, may may God bless our reflection on this psalm mightily strengthening all you who trust him. Do not be afraid. He is a faithful Savior God, the God of Psalm 91. And when it's the case that any here are yet unbelieving, won't you today seek this Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near? You know, apart from this God, Psalm 91 surely reflects, we live in a world of danger. And there's danger here and there'll be danger when the judgment day comes. If the Lord isn't your shield, will you appear before him without Christ being your shield? You know, I read the other day. You read it too, no doubt. One of the 85-year-old women that was in the Hamas tunnels as a captive, she said when she got out, I went through hell. I went through hell. We understand what she meant. It must have been like hell, but not really. No one goes through hell. this side of heaven. There's only one that went through hell and came out and that's Jesus Christ. Otherwise, if you're not shielded by Jesus Christ, you go to hell, you don't go through hell, you remain in hell forever and ever and ever. The Bible teaches that so clearly. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need the God of Psalm 91 as our shield and our defender. Why would anyone live and die still in their sins with Psalm 91 in the Bible? And this 911 verse, this call line given us to call on the Lord Jesus Christ while well, it's yet the day of grace. And don't anyone here either be content with just a form of religion? The church is full of that all too often, isn't it? Throughout history, people only half-heartedly looking to God, trusting more religion than the Savior Himself, being more double-minded and two faced in looking to the Lord. Don't be like that. No. This Psalm makes clear those who know and will know and rejoice in the rich gospel treasure and blessed security for soul and body in life and death for this life and the life hereafter. Who are they? They are those who call on God sincerely and wholeheartedly and steadfastly. Then you know in your heart and life there is no safety nor salvation for you except you dwell in the secret place of the Most High and abide in Christ under the shadow of the Almighty, so always needing Him and calling upon Him and loving His name and pleading His mercy. As one wrote, In Christ I every glory view of safety, strength, and beauty too, beloved Savior ever be a sanctuary unto me. Can you identify with that? Is that your cry and trust to Oh, God triune, he invites us all so to trust and follow him, and he will show you his salvation. Indeed, he delights to do so all your journey through, and then forevermore in the world to come. Well, may the fruit of this sermon on Psalm 91 be, by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, that the theme of this psalm and sermon be all our joyful comfort and our happy testimony, too, letting one and all know in our families and in our churches and in our communities how we are always safe and secure with the Lord as you're my refuge. And when you and I need reminders of it, then read this most cheering psalm again and again and again with its precious gospel truth declared beautifully. Illustrated bountifully and confirmed beyond measure. Oh, safe, forever safe, completely safe, in the arms of Jesus, in the secret place of the Most High, dwelling under the shadow of His wings. Thus saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen.